Welcome to Sports Beat KC. Rustin Dodd is here, and so am I, Blair Kirkhoff, with the Kansas City Star, and we're here to talk about Kansas. And Rustin, right off the bat, the the Jayhawks this weekend uh, achieved their season-long goal of reaching the Final Four. How about that? Oh, wait a second. Not in men's basketball, but in volleyball. We'll we'll, we'll little shout out to Ray Bouchard's volleyball team, which qualified for the Final Four in Omaha this weekend. Yeah, you know, I think, um, I mean, it's an accomplishment anytime you're going to go to the Final Four, but I think for like a little bit of perspective, college volleyball, women's college volleyball might be like the most dominated sport by like the power programs. It's sort of like the same teams every year. So, I mean, it's sort of, sort of wild that uh, Kansas has sort of cracked that echelon. Um, this past weekend, and but beat, yeah. a, beat a top. Was Southern Cal top ranked? They were the number one overall seed in the tournament. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of interesting. There's five Midwestern teams, I guess, if you consider Texas the Midwest, but you got Minnesota and Nebraska in there too, and uh, so it's a little bit different. I I think uh, like Penn State has won six of the last eight national titles. They're not in there, and there's no West Coast team in the Final Four for the first time in like twenty some years. So yeah, it's sort of a you know, five years ago, I think Kansas volleyball, they were like 500 or, you know, something, yeah. you know, barely beating any Big 12 teams. So it's sort of been a consistent but pretty rapid rise as well. And it must be a Big 12 sport because Texas is also in the Final Yeah, two, two Big 12 and two Big 10. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had the volleyball in Final Four in Kansas City here a couple of years ago. It's one of the ones that Penn State won and fantastic crowds. I imagine it'll you know, there won't be a empty seat in the house on Thursday when Kansas plays in Omaha, University of Nebraska. I yeah. understand they have a pretty good record against uh, the Huskers over the yeah, years. Yeah, well, they're winless, oh, 86 and one, which I'm not really sure how the, they tied in volleyball, but apparently they played a two set match. But yeah, I the uh, if anybody's thinking about going up there, I think that tickets are going to be difficult to get. I've even. Uh, it might be sold out, which is surprising that you know you're going to get sixteen thousand in there for volleyball, but it it seems like it's going to yeah. be about fourteen thousand Nebraska fans. Okay, Saturday night, uh, Kansas played Oregon State, the annual game at Sprint Center, and I I thought it was fascinating on on a couple of fronts. The um, and the the way the game progressed, Kansas finds itself down eleven at halftime. I know we always talk about playing with energy and without energy, and I thought this was just a great example. I didn't see much energy out of Kansas in the first half, and I, I thought that Oregon State really took it to him, uh, especially the lefty uh, Tinkle, is that his name, who yeah. hit, hit the five threes. It was uh, the, the lefty. He, he was really, really good, and, and, and Kansas, I thought, was back on its heels. And then a second half, unlike, uh, I guess, any that I've seen a Bill Self coach team have in that not not that they dominated because they've dominated good teams and halves before but they dominated with basically the same guys on the floor for almost the entire half which sets up all kinds of um, uh, questions and and uh, possibilities for the Jayhawks and just why don't you take us through what happened and how that second half unfolded and what we saw there yeah you know I, I think it's actually probably one of the better halves of basketball I've seen Kansas play on the offensive side uh, maybe in the last three or four years since I've been on the beat, I think they they were averaging like 1.46 points per possession. If you want to get really nerdy about it, I mean that's that's an incredible number. I mean that's probably like an all-time Kansas number under Bill Self. Um, but yeah, then then they stuck with their with their starting backcourt of Mason Graham and Selden, and I think 
Um, you know, they also only played three big guys in the second half, mostly with Bragg, Mickelson, and Perry Ellis. But I think the the thing that stuck out to me was just the way Kansas's guards controlled the game and the way they, they can kind of control the tempo when they want to with, with Mason um, and Devontae Graham. Um, and I think, you, as you alluded to, I mean, it does bring up some questions moving forward about exactly what this rotation is going to be and who's going to be on the floor. Um, but I think if if you're Bill Self and you saw the way your guards kind of took over that game and you kind of project forward to, you know, the NCAA tournament or just the postseason to have those three guards, I think you have to feel pretty good about that. Well, especially knowing that that this can happen if this is the way Bill Self chooses to, yeah. you know, to strategize. Um, I thought at first – he was sending a message to his team that uh, you know didn't like the way they performed in the first half, and some guys were going to pay for that with time on the bench. Guys like Jamari Trailer and Landon Lucas and uh, Brandon Green and um, a couple others. And then as Kansas was just rolling offensively, I, I think maybe Bill's mindset changed a little bit. I'm not going to mess with this. You know, yeah. this is this is going really well. They. Um, what did they hit like eight of their ten first ten threes in the second half yeah. and uh, and and ended up shooting like sixty five or so percent for the half but at one time it was over close to eighty and I, I thought why why fool with it it's it's working it's working well and maybe maybe he learned something about like you said he learned something about how his team can operate if he decides to give guys 35 to 38 minutes against certain guys yeah you know I think he made a good point after the game uh at the Sprint Center, you know, every year we kind of look at the Kansas roster and, and because we know these players and because a lot of them are, are top recruits, we see, you know, 10, 11 guys and it's, you always talk about the depth while wow, this team has a lot of depth, but you know, you really don't need a lot of depth in, in college basketball with the timeout situation and Kansas was going to have a week off. And I think maybe that played a little part into it, although uh, maybe not, but, but he mentioned that the, you know, the 2012 team that went to the final four and had, um, and went to the national championship game. They played basically seven guys. And if you looked at that team, the seventh guy was Justin Wesley, who didn't really even, um, you know, play the next couple of years and was was not even a rotation player. And the sixth player was Connor Tehan, who was not, you know, it was just a, a role player and a shooter off the bench. I mean, that team um, right. made it to the Final Four with five really legitimate good college basketball players. And I think, you know... He said the same thing about the 08 team yeah, as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, they played seven and a half guys with yeah, Cole kind of being their eighth. And um, sometimes never got into a game, uh, yeah. Cole Aldridge. So, so uh, I, I think if you if you have seven or eight guys, uh, and Kansas can probably call together seven or eight guys from, from what they have, I mean, that's, that's really all you need. Um, but I, I do think he's – and he had mentioned this the, the couple of days before, how it's still just sort of a puzzle with the front court – um, and we've talked about it a lot, but maybe, you know, less is more. Maybe, you know, when, when you have fewer guys out there and you just let them play, um, maybe it's it's easier for guys to get in a rhythm and, and for, the, for, for that to work. Well, but that brings up um, a, a kind of a constant theme that we've explored is the development of Sheck Diallo. I mean, I, he's got to play to develop, and he didn't play in the, you know, the second half on – on Saturday, and I think the, the the common opinion is if Kansas is going to reach its you know its potential, he Diallo is going to need to be major contributor. 
and that can't happen from where he's sitting. Uh, so I, I, I got to think that he, you know, if there was a message being sent to the players, um, that, that's all well and good. But it's at some point, and pretty soon, is that non-conference games start to dwindle, the number of non-conference games. Um, the, Diallo has to play and has to learn the game at this level and develop if Kansas is going to be the team that they think they can be. Yeah, I still think I think I think he can and, and will. Um, you know, Self said after the game that, you know, he was sort of just going to put Bragg or Diallo or one of those guys in the game, and he said he it was basically just sort of an instinct thing, okay, I'll go with Bragg. I don't know that there was a lot of, you know, thinking behind that. And then when it when they got on such a roll that he was like, you know, okay, I don't, I'm not going to mess with this. Um, so I don't think there was as much calculated strategy to keep Diallo on the bench for the second half if it was necessarily a message. Obviously, he's still incredibly raw and still still developing and still is going to make his share of mistakes on the floor. But I don't know if that was, you know, something you, you would take away from and say, okay, this is a sign of some the future, you know, playing time for him or anything like it. Like it might be for, for Trailer or Lucas because that was maybe the first time I've seen in at least the last year or two you know, self. Sometimes he goes away from guys, but he rarely goes away from Jamari Trailer. It seems like that was one of the first times where he he was just kind of stashed him on the bench for the entire second half, and and he was sort of um, a non-factor. And you know, we we referred earlier to energy. That's the one thing with Trailer that I've always kind of admired about him is he's he's always been a big energy guy. And when he was on the floor in the first half. Um, didn't bring much uh, of, of anything. And look, Oregon State is—they came into the game with a seven and one record. They're—they've had—they had a couple of nice wins. I think it's a decent, pretty decent team, above average, you know, top half of the Pac-12 type of team this year. And gave can—and they've got some—they got some size. Yeah. And um, and that that bothered Kansas. You know, Kansas ended up conquering it in the second half. I think with with perimeter shooting and um, and just some just. Great transition basketball. Um, I, I thought Mickelson, when when he played, I, I thought he was pretty effective, especially in the second half. I thought he gave him some um, some good moments. I didn't realize he had the range that he did. Knocked down a couple of you know fourteen, fifteen foot jump shots early in the second half. So, so yeah, going forward, I I, I don't I don't I don't know who those guys are. The big guys are going to be. I mean, we we all feel pretty good about the three guards, and he's going to. That's the other thing that Bill Self said after the game is how much he just you know that's the identity of his most successful teams. It's not the developing of the bigs yeah. and the in the you know the the, the high low. It's it really is the backcourt and the, the guard play. So um, so yeah, I, I, I don't I, I, anybody. It's any to me. It's anybody's guess who which front court players are going to be the minutes leaders on this team. Yeah, you know, and he made a good point, or Self made a good point about. Mickelson after the game it sort of brought up that you know in the first half he played I think he played something like four or five minutes but he was he was still trying to rotate in Lucas and trailer at that point so he didn't play as much even though he started and the coaches kind of looked at the box score at halftime and they saw that he had a couple of rebounds and a block shot and a steal and I think that's sort of kind of what Mickelson brings you is he, he's not going to really like look that impressive getting off the bus and he, even when he's in there it's not like nothing really looks easy but he is active and if you and if you look kind of the numbers rebounding wise and block shots wise um I, I think he's always kind of been probably a little bit underrated in terms of what he brings when he's on the court compared to a Landon Lucas or a Jamari trailer so 
I think he's he's helped himself at least stay kind of in the mix um, for the next couple of weeks, um, and we'll see what happens when when conference play begins. Okay, we'll give we'll give Mickelson the up arrow. Yeah, uh, he's trending up. Trending up. <laughs> trending up. Before we leave this topic, what you know, I, I, teams that are in Kansas's category, that is the you know perennially perennially top. Five, ten teams in the country. They recruit at the highest level. You know, they they're the ones that land five star guys, four star guys, and um, and and in Kansas, you know, for this year, st- you know, stockpiled. They've got a they've got a large roster, a deep roster, and if you know, if they continue to um, play, if Bill Self continues to play just seven or eight guys, I mean, some guys are going to sit who were highly recruited guys and expected to, to play. And I, I guess it's just the way of the world now that with, with programs like Kansas and Kentucky and Duke and others, you th- they transfer from those programs too. If you're not playing a- enough or you're not playing a lot, you're, you know, you're, you're going to move on. So there was a time when you, you, if you were a fan of one of those programs and one of your stars wasn't playing or getting enough time, you really feared that he was going to transfer. But I don't think people think like that anymore. I, I think that you almost accept that as a, the cost of doing business and recruiting, that you're, you know, you're going to lose guys that, that, that do not play as much as you know, they think they should. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, and if you look at kind of Kansas's roster, it's a little bit different because a lot of the guys. I mean, I guess you've got Diallo and Bragg in the mix, but um, most of the the rotation is older. So even the guys you're sitting, for instance, you know, Landon Lucas is a fourth year junior. He's already redshirted. Um, you know, he's in. He wasn't necessarily one of those highly recruited guys, but um, you know, he's as Bolsov said, he can't redshirt. I mean, he'd, it would be difficult for him to transfer at this point in his career. Trailer is a fifth-year senior. Green is in his third year in the program. Um, you know, Sfi is in his second year. But it's, it, you know, it's not necessarily like they have, you know, freshman or sophomore guys that are, you know, were top 50 recruits that can't get on the floor. Right. Um, so, you know, I think – Moving forward, I think there's I don't know I, I I don't know if I have a great point here, but well, <laughs> but there I think there is uh, Bill Self has some some ways he can go with this thing. You've got the box score from the game in your hand. Read me what what, what were Perry Ellis's uh, points rebounds? Ellis said he had 13 points, nine rebounds, okay. and was he was four of ten from the floor. De- decent game, but I kind of kind of his mo lately. Yeah, yeah. It's I was nothing kinda... that you want to be. It's nothing that you can criticize too much. But I don't necessarily think he's been. He didn't uh, rise above. No, you know, he he didn't he, he didn't give you the Big Twelve Player of the Year type of performance. Uh, and I think that's been kind of the case the last couple of games. No, I think that's right. I mean, they they have they have struggled to score in the in the post the last three to four games. Even against Holy Cross and Harvard, they weren't necessarily playing that well inside and. I think that there's still one criticism of this team or one thing you're, you worry about heading into conference plays. Um, if Perry Ellis isn't playing at a really high level, you're really relying on the jump shot to score, and you're really relying on those guards to, to score a lot of points. And, you know, I think Perry, if you look at his numbers, um, it's hard to say he's in a slump or it's hard to say he's, you know, in some sort of funk, as you might say. I think that might be a little bit overblown, but I do think he – hasn't been maybe to the caliber that Bill Self was hoping that if he could take another jump and sort of be a you know an All-American candidate or a fringe All-American candidate, I don't think he's he's quite been that 
um, you know, over the last two weeks since they got back from Maui. It's funny how, you know, I'm, we, we talk a lot about the guards and the rotation there and, and Diallo's development, and he's the one guy we just sort of take for granted. Yeah. It's going to give you 13-9, and nine, but but it's to me, again, it's almost like not enough. I, he leaves you wanting a little bit more. And for me, anyway, as uh, as the, the final couple of what we have four four five non conference games left before a league play starts in January, that's something I'm going to keep an eye on is how Perry Ellis plays and you know against uh, Montana. I guess they have on Saturday and and their their big non conference game. There's one big one left. It's uh, San Diego State at San Diego State on the a week uh, a week from tomorrow. Right, right. Before week from Christmas. Tuesday night. Yeah. yeah. So that's something I'll be looking at. How about yourself? What uh, you know, with with the handful of non-conference games left before, I want to say January two is the league opener. Um, what, what kinds of things are you going to be looking for? Yeah, I it's still sort of kind of I feel like we're belaboring this point, but I still kind of want to just see how the front court um, kind of looks in the next couple of weeks in terms of who's actually on the floor and who's playing and who kind of rises in that group. And I also. You know, Wayne Selden is shooting 60% from three right now. That's got to change, he's, right? That's got to come down. He's 30 of 50 for the season uh, in nine games, and which is one is unbelievable. And but two, I think that's probably covering up some you know some issues that Kansas has right now. I mean, you know, if he's shooting 40% from three, which still be would be really strong. Um, you know, they they probably wouldn't. You know the I don't think they would be any worse record-wise, but there might be, you know, some performances that look a little, little different, or maybe you know they struggle against Oregon State. I mean, he was five of eight and was really good again. So, at some point, Kansas is not going to be shooting forty-seven percent from three as they are as a team right now. And so, you know, can they find other ways to score? Are they going to develop, you know, some some inside game to kind of supplement the scoring from the guards? I think that's just what happens when they stop shooting at this uh, kind of ridiculous clip. <laughs> All right. Well, sounds good, Rustin. Thanks for spending some time with us here. And hey, keep in mind, uh, Kansas volleyball plays Thursday night against Nebraska in the Final Four. It's a cool thing, a very cool thing. And uh, Kansas basketball in action again on Saturday against Montana. Um, this has been Sports Beat KC. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Blair.